Um, hey, thank you guys all for being here. I, I'm excited to finally be up here. Um, as you guys may have known, the last time I was supposed to preach, I unfortunately got very sick about an hour beforehand, um, which, was, which was very unfortunate, but I, I honestly, from the bottom of my heart, is so th- I'm so thankful to be part of a church where an hour before I'm supposed to preach, which like in the church world is like being called up to the big leagues, like to be able to cancel and to have one, everyone around here, the volunteers and people like Brian to be ready and be flexible, but also so many of you send me so many nice texts. So I'm so thankful to be part of a community where I don't get shredded for that, but I actually get encouraged um, to take the time to rest. So thank you guys all for that. Also, there's another, there's actually an added blessing to me missing it because I was going to be following up um, Fallon Barton, who preached for us, who she did an amazing job, and already I didn't want to follow her, but also she started off her sermon with a painting analogy, and before I even knew what she was doing, I am going to start mine off with a painting analogy, and I was definitely that kid growing up where if we're at the restaurant and my brother, like we're about to order, and my brother, the waiter comes, and my brother's like, I want chicken fingers, and I'm like, well... Dang it, I guess I can't get chicken fingers, you ordered it. Um, I can be a little bit like that, but I'm glad that I, I, now, I now get to do it. So I actually asked right before service, I asked Stephanie, if she wouldn't mind coming up here, to help me with something really quick. We're gonna do a quick little activity. And here you go, Steph. Hey, Steph. Hey. I don't know what I'm in for. No, you don't. <laughs> all right, so here's, here's all we're gonna do. Uh, I'm gonna give Stephanie an image, don't show it to them, and I just want you to do, to the best of your ability, describe this image to everyone here. So your guy's job is just simply to picture what is she describing. So, here you go. Okay, I see... uh, (laughs) A raft made with big logs tied together, and... Five men struggling to hang on. Okay, nice. And they're in a large body of water with waves coming to crash on them. There are clouds, but the sun is shining through. Nice. How about some colors? Oh, it, there's, it's colorful. <laughs> um, the light is hitting the water and shining through the waves. Uh, The waves are kind of a greenish ocean blue and a sunset background of reds, oranges, and yellow. Nice. And one man on the raft is holding something up up above his head, a red paintbrush. Nice. (laughs) That's great. A red feather. That's great. That's great. (laughs) Okay, thank you, Stephanie. Can everyone give a hand to Stephanie? All right, you guys, you guys are picturing it now. People on a wood raft. Um, someone's holding a flag in the air. All right, so here, here's what we're going to do. I just want you to take, take two seconds and just really try and solidify a picture in your head of what she described. Give it a little bit of time. Give it a little bit of time. Really, really solidify that flag holding. And then, Chen, if you wouldn't mind, can you put it up on the screen, what she was describing? And if you could, do you mind lowering, yeah, lowering the lights so we can get a good kind of picture of this? So this is a painting by Ivan Ivazovsky, and he is a Russian-Armenian painter. It is called The Ninth Wave, and it is a reference to, if you're in a storm, if you're on a boat at sea in a storm, you get a succession of waves where each one gets bigger than the other until it finally leads to a ninth wave that often usually means 
honestly total destruction. And so the title of it, Ninth Wave, suggests something very negative, but you will notice that the painting honestly seems a little bit more warm, and that's because um, Ivan was a very strong believer, and so the wood there is actually supposed to resemble a cross, and it's supposed to resemble that even on the ninth wave, you still have hope, you still have something great, you still have something incredible, and that is clinging to Jesus even during the ninth wave. And so these people are supposed to, regardless of their situation, cling to their salvation, cling to their savior, even in the midst of the ninth wave, the biggest storm. Awesome, thank you, Jen. So the reason I had to do that is because I think Stephanie did, honestly, a very good job of describing that complex painting, and you guys probably pictured it however you wanted in your head. But there's still something different from understanding what she's saying to actually seeing the painting for yourself. To actually seeing what she meant by the waves crashing and there's people on it and the wood raft and orange and the orange sunset. There's something different when you actually see the painting for itself. Seeing something firsthand is just different than knowledge or seeing something secondhand. Even so, if you were to see this painting in person, I obviously don't have it, it is in a Russian museum and it is eight feet by 11 feet. It is enormous, it is gorgeous, and it is beautiful. And there is just something different between experiencing something, actually seeing it, and just having knowledge about it. The relationship between knowledge experience is very interesting. So much so that our experiences can actually lead to actual change in lifestyle. There is a famous monologue in the movie Good Will Hunting, if you guys have seen that movie, where Robin Williams' character, who is a therapist, is speaking with Matt Damon's character, who is a brilliant janitor, where he, Robin Williams is up all night because he just doesn't know how this kid is so brilliant. How could someone be this smart? And then they meet together in a park where Robin Williams gives this heart-wrenching monologue where he basically says, I don't care how much you know. You haven't experienced anything. If we talk about love, you could quote Shakespeare but you've never actually been in love and felt what it's like to give your heart to someone. When we're talking about art, you can talk about Michelangelo, but you've never sat next to the David. You've never seen how beautiful it is. He talks about how experience is so much better than knowledge. Experience just cements, solidifies, adds more authenticity to something we already had with knowledge. We can have We can have bad experiences that can lead us to avoid things, and we can have good experiences that can actually change or increase something in our life. When I was growing up, I hated camping. Hated it, hated it, hated it. And that's only because I'd actually never been camping. I just had ideas of camping. People told me camping is, oh, it's fresh air, you sit by a fire for hours and you sleep on the ground, and it still costs money somehow. <laughs> like, it, it just doesn't make any sense. Like, I, I, growing up, I had no interest in camping because of this basis of knowledge. I almost went camping one time in graduate school, almost, where a friend of mine for weeks was like, I'm gonna get you camping, I'm so excited, let's go camping. And the day before camping, he goes, all right, man, let me just make sure you have everything. Do you have your negative 10 degree sleeping bag? I was like, no. He's like, wow, we're going to like the mountains in the winter. And I'm like, I didn't know you needed that. And then he said, all right, man, no worries. And then he just went without me. (laughs) And so I just had this very poor idea of camping. Then I finally went camping for the very first time with uh, the woman who is now my wife. And I went with um, Laura, who's up here, her husband, Michael. We went camping, it was my very first time camping. And all of these ideas, all of this knowledge I had in my head, I got to actually experience them. And it honestly overwhelmed me. It was, the fresh air is so fresh. Like, it is insane. I mean, like, just outside here is not fresh air. <laughs> and I thought, I, I get bored sitting on my couch at home alone, but sitting by a campfire, somehow I'm never bored. 
I have a beautiful comfy bed with a thousand pillows that I somehow have trouble sleeping, but I have no trouble sleeping on the floor while I'm camping. I, I, I can't describe it, but something about actually experiencing it just made it so much better. And to the point where now camping is actually a very significant part of my life. We plan parts of our house based around where we can put camping gear. We're making purchases based on camping gear. We bought our cars based on camping. We have a Subaru Outback and a truck. That's as basic as it gets. We even got our dog because we wanted a dog that would be good with camping. And we love taking her camping. We love to take her to this one spot in Joshua Tree, which it's really hot there, but I, she's a husky, but I think she's okay with it. I think we have a picture of her just sitting in Joshua, yeah. Um, <laughs> she is adorable, but not modest. Um, that is, pro it's probably 110 degrees right there. Um, and that picture is taken from underneath shade from us begging to bring her back, and she won't. Um, and to anyone who thinks we're bad dog parents, we bought her puppy sunscreen. We have, a, we have a vest that we cover her with water every 10 minutes, and we burn gas so we can put her in the car and have the AC running. <laughs> so she's a princess, she's taken care of. Um, but something that went from simple knowledge about camping to actually experiencing it ended up transforming, honestly, my whole life. My wife and I now, we plan these big trips about specifically camping. It has become a big part. And it's the relationship between knowledge and experience is what I want to talk about this morning because I think when it comes to our faith, we can oftentimes mistake knowledge for experience. And we can often say, well, no, I know a lot about Christ. But do we know Christ? When we go from simply knowing stuff about Jesus to experiencing him for ourselves, hearing someone talk about Jesus actually seeing Jesus, the painting, seeing it for yourself. There's something that can dramatically change when that happens. Because we can often have bad experiences that can lead to negative things and negative emotions, but I believe a genuine taste, a genuine understanding, experience of Jesus, I believe that it can only end positively. That can only end in joy, it can only end in goodness. And so this morning, we're gonna be talking through John chapter four. It's gonna be up on the screen, but if you would like to, you can go to it. Um, I apologize now, I love reading, and so it's a lot of verses, um, but I appreciate you guys for bearing with me. Also, if you happen to read it and you know the story, there's a section towards the end with the disciples that I just, we're just not, we're just gonna skip it to save some time and to work it through. So if you're really excited about that part, I'm sorry. Um, but if you have it, um, here it is, it's John chapter four. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. 
Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husbands. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left the jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with him, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. All right, that was a lot. Take a deep breath with me. We did it. Also, um, I absolutely love this passage just in general. It's very long, but I, I, I think you could probably get 21 sermons out of this passage. Um, there is just so much good stuff, but what I would love to do is what I normally do, is I would love to just kind of walk through it bit by bit, and we walk through it together and sort of see um, on a deeper level more what's going on here. So we start with um, Jesus going from Judea to Galilee. He left Judea and departed for Galilee. So Judea is south, Galilee is north. It's about a 60-mile trek, and right in the middle of Samaria. And so it says that he had to pass through Samaria. And so that probably means geographically he just literally had to pass through it. But the Greek is a little bit fun with this phrase, and it's possible that what is more meant here is he sort of has a divine obligation. He has to pass through Samaria. Like, he needs to go through it because he's going to be introduced to this woman. And he had to pass through Samaria, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. It was about the sixth hour. Now, the way that they counted hours back then is they usually said dawn is the start of the day. That's hour one. So the sixth hour is probably about noon. So when we are introduced to this woman, it is about noon and she's getting water, which to any ancient reader, this would have been a sign that there's something kind of odd going on. Um, You wouldn't be getting water at noon. That's the hottest time of the day. Um, You have to carry these water jugs are not just like, not these like handheld things. They are these giant jugs and she is just carrying this massive thing. So more likely than not, they would go in the morning. And so the fact that she's going at noon probably means she probably wants to avoid people. She doesn't want to be seen. She probably wants to stay a little bit incognito, which is, which is interesting. We get that little tidbit right off the bat. So then the woman from Samaria comes to draw water. Jesus says to her, give me a drink. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Now, a lot of us know that, um, many of you know who probably have heard lots of sermons, maybe even sermons on this, that Samaritans and Jews didn't necessarily get along all that well. Um, they definitely didn't like each other, but it, it, it went to a point where if you were a Jew and you interacted with someone from Samaria, you thought you could, like, catch Samaritan. Like, you thought if you touched them, you would get them on you and you were ceremonially unclean. And so this is actually a big deal that Jesus is not only interacting with a Samaritan, but he's asking for a drink of water. 
that she's fetching. So she is getting the water and handing it to him, drinking water that she has essentially touched. This would be a very, very big giant no at the time. Jesus would have to go do a thousand things, but obviously Jesus isn't bound by this stuff. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who is it that's saying you give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where are you gonna get this water? Are you greater than Jacob? And Jesus answered her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. And it will be in a spring of water welling up to eternal life. I probably read this text over and over and over again in general in my life, but also ready for the sermon. And every time I read it, I couldn't help but feel like Jesus is just, he kind of comes across a little bit callous or cold. He's just like, give me a drink. If you, knew, if you knew what I had, he can come across a little bit stodgy and a little bit quick. But then as I kept reading, I started seeing it from a little bit of a different perspective. And I started getting excited about the idea that Jesus is sitting here with a woman that he should have no dealings with. He should have nothing to do with this woman in this time and culture. And not only does he sit with her and interact with her, but the first thing he does is offer her the gospel. It is the very first thing he does. I don't look at it as he's being quick and cold and callous. I look at he is immediately going, okay, I have an opportunity. Here you go. Here is living water. Here is an opportunity. I'm going to offer you eternal life right here, right now, at noon in Sikar by this well, right here. This is not a guy who's like, ugh, just I don't want to deal with you right now. I'm tired. He has probably geographically walked probably 30 miles at this point. It's noon, it's hot. And Jesus is quick to offer the gospel. I love reading texts that show that Jesus has no boundaries. His world, his love, his connections, they're for everyone. If you're someone who ever thought that you don't deserve God's love or it's not for you, let me politely say you're dead wrong. It's for everyone. And if you've ever wanted to show someone Jesus and you thought, man, it's not for them, you're also dead wrong. I love that this Jesus, the first thing he does is sit down and goes, let me offer you the greatest gift you could possibly ever fathom, eternal life. And then I love, because this is all relatable to probably all of us, she doesn't understand at all what's happening. So he's like, I'm gonna give you this well, it's gonna go up to eternal life. And she's like, awesome, never thirsty again, or not ever have to come back to this well? Gimme, 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 let's go. And then he, call, he calls her out for having multiple husbands, and she's like, oh, okay, this guy's actually might be a bigger deal than I think. So then he asked her kind of a theological question. And it was here in the reading that I realized I am much closer to this Samaritan woman than I thought. Because when she first interacts with Jesus and gets to know a little bit about him that he seems a little unique or special, her first thing is to ask for a convenience. You have this living water? Well, I want, I, I don't want to be thirsty again. I don't want to have to go back to this well. Come on, give me it. I would like this. How many times is my first thing when I interact with Jesus, my first thing I want to do is ask for something, or I want a convenience, or I want something fixed. I want that raise, I want that promotion, I want that new car, whatever it might be. How often is my very first idea of Jesus that I I need something, I need a convenience? And then he tells her a little bit something about herself. She gets to know know him a little bit better. She's like, oh, you might be a little bit of a bigger deal than I thought. And she's like, cool, then I'll ask him a question. And she either has two intentions with this question. One, She's got an argument back at home. She's trying to throw in someone's face. (laughs) 
We say it's here, you say it's there, who's right? All right, let's go, who's right? And I wonder how many times have I used my faith or gone to Jesus because I wanted to be right. Because I wanted to win an argument. Because I wanted to tell someone that the way they're living isn't correct because I have the say, because I know, because it says this. Or that the way that they're doing something is wrong because of what I say. How many times have I gone up to someone and corrected them, not because I genuinely cared about their well-being or their faith, but because I wanted to be right or win an argument? Or it's possible that she's not trying to win an argument. She genuinely wants to understand the rules. What are the rules? Here or here? Instruments, no instruments. Wine or grape juice? Goldfish, saltine crackers, what are we allowed to use? What, what are the rules? How do you pray correctly? And I love Jesus' response where he's just like, you don't understand yet still. It's not about any of that. It's not about any of that. You worship what you do not know, we worship what we know. But the hour is coming and now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Am I supposed to worship here or here? And he goes, that's not the point. The point is, God is spirit and you can be with him anytime, anywhere, any place. He is just looking for people to be with him. God is not looking for people to know about him. He's not looking for people to have all this information about him. He's looking for people to just be with him, sit with him, experience him, worship him. This is all the father asks. He's seeking such people to worship him, to be with him. I love that we memorize Bible verses and I love that we do stuff like that. But I never want my knowledge about something to ever surpass the experience of it, to actually feel it. So first she sees him, she sees he's kind of interesting. Why is he asking me for water? Then he starts offering living water. She's like, you're a little bit cooler than I thought. Then he says things about her that she had no idea and she thinks, okay, this guy's a really big deal. Then he answers about the father and she goes, oh my gosh, I know that the Messiah is coming It's really starting to click now. He who is called the Christ. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Jesus is very hesitant to call himself the Messiah. Um, But a lot of scholars think that he he says it here because he's kind of outside the the Jewish kingdom. He's, He's in a different land. And so he feels comfortable to actually call himself the Messiah. And all of these experiences he's having, all these little knowledges about God or Jesus that are leading up to it, lead to her to eventually leave her water jar and run away into town and say to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? She finally has that genuine experience where she's like, oh, you are this person. And it causes her to drop everything and run and just tell these people. And also, I just love that the people listen to her. I love that this woman runs back and is like, hey, I got this cool thing. And they're like, let's go together. Let's all go do this. A genuine experience leads to movement. And then this is my favorite part, one of my favorite verses in all of scripture, or my favorite passages that ends in one of my favorite verses. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. They did, she did a great job, they believed. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed Jesus because of his word. This is one of my favorite verses in all of scripture. They said to the woman, it is no longer It is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves, and we know 
that this is indeed the savior of the world. I can talk about Jesus, I think, pretty well. Brian does an amazing job talking about Jesus. Our elders do an incredible job talking about Jesus. I've heard incredible poems and podcasts and movies and TV shows and worship sets and all of those things do an amazing job. I love that they give credit to the woman's testimony. They believed because of her testimony. But there's something different about seeing for yourself. Everything I do up here, everything anyone does, we are just conduits to get people to experience Jesus for themselves because there's nothing better. There's nothing richer. There's nothing that could possibly be better than, than actually experiencing Jesus for yourself. There are lots of times in, in um, the Gospels where Jesus interacts with someone who's done something wrong and he is very gracious towards them but then says, hey, like, but sin no more, like repentance and no more. I, I find it fascinating that in this whole section he calls her out for having multiple husbands but in this section he doesn't say, hey, go and repent no more. And I'm not saying that's not because that wasn't sort of something that was assumed, but I think it's not put in here because that's not the point of this text. Her being a Samaritan, her being a woman, her being a woman who's had several husbands, that's not the point here. The point is, is Jesus is showing people that out of all the rules, all the things you could be doing, all God wants from us is to lay at his feet and be with him, to experience him. Now I wish, from the bottom of my heart, I wish I could throw out a list of things for you to do and then after you do them, Jesus pops up and you experience him right firsthand. Like, I don't know if you guys ever read the Old Testament and sometimes it gets a little weird. I, I'm one of those people that yearn for the Old Testament. Like, oh, this happened, I just gotta shave a pigeon, we're good. Like, I did it. Like, that's, that's the one place God is, the Holy of Holies, he's in that one place, got it, great. Like, now we're like, oh, he's everywhere and we're like, He's everywhere, but often I don't feel him. <laughs> and so I wish I had a way to tell you, just do this and you'll experience him. I can't. But what I can offer is encouragement and advice. And that is, I would encourage everyone here or at home to keep your eyes open and to be aware of opportunities to see Jesus, to get to know him. And let me explain a little bit better what I mean by that. When you read your Bible, don't just read it to just memorize. Don't just read it to read it and check a box. Read it with the intention of getting to know Jesus. When you pray, don't just pray to ask for things. Praying and asking for things is great. God wants you. He gives things to people who ask. God gives us things, I promise. But also pray with the hope of getting to know Jesus better. When you volunteer, whether that's here or at work or for a friend, help out a friend or at a homeless shelter, whatever it might be, you have a task you gotta do, do it, but also volunteer with the hope of getting to know Jesus better. When you sing worship, maybe you fast. When you hold the door open for a friend or a stranger, when you buy coffee for the person behind you, whatever it is, it says, very clearly here, the Father is spirit, and it doesn't matter where we are or what we're doing. What matters is that we involve Christ in everything we do, and I believe that when we do our best to try to interact with him, he reaches out to and he interacts with us. So my encouragement would be, whatever it is that you're doing, try to involve Christ. We do these things on um, Thursday mornings, we, we have a thing called Grindstone for the men to kind of get together and talk about some devotionals. It's been led by our very own Y, who's killing it on base up here. Um, 
We, uh, every third Thursday, we meet in person, and so this last Thursday, we met in person at my house, and Y brought a, a great devotional where it recommended, it suggested that if you're having trouble sleeping, if you're feeling anxious or stressed, to get out of bed, get on your hands and knees, and just give it to God. And I love that idea with something as simple as sleep, whatever it is, get on your hands and knees, and just worship God. Um, anyone who knows me pretty well knows that I'm maybe one of the few pastors who like doesn't love praying before a meal. <laughs> I don't know why. I just was raised that way. We were raised to like, oh, we're the cool Christians. We don't pray before meals. We pray in here, but we don't pray here. I, like that's not that that doesn't matter. But I've been doing it lately. Ever since reading this, as I've been just praying to myself before I eat, I'm just like, God, I hope this meal gets me closer to you. I just can't fathom there'd be a time when we, if we get to heaven and God's like, you involved me too much. You looked for me in too many places. I just can't imagine he'd ever say that. So my encouragement is, whatever you do, try to get to know Christ better. Experience him. It doesn't matter if we worship here or there. It doesn't matter but we get to see Christ for ourselves. Stephanie, you did a great job describing that painting. You did a great job. But there is something different about seeing it actually for yourself. You might hear the greatest sermon in the world. Maybe this is the greatest sermon in the world. Who knows? <laughs> but it still doesn't get even close to seeing it for yourself. My, uh, my older brother, he started dating his now wife and he called me one day, and I, I, my brother's six years older than me, and I remember this being like the moment where we were like, we're starting to be treated as equals, because I've always been like his little bro, but he called me and asked for like relationship advice, and I'm like, hey, we've, we've made it, like we're friends now, <laughs> like this is it. And I just remember him calling me, and he just, he described his, 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 uh, the girl he was dating, and he just said, Austin, you don't understand. She's so beautiful, she is so funny, she is so kind. And when he told me that, I believed him, I didn't say, like, that you're lying. No, I believed him. I believed that she was all of those things. And then I got to meet her in person and meet her for the first time, and I went, that's what you meant by beautiful, because she's gorgeous. That's what, you, that's what you meant by funny. That's her sense of humor. That's hilarious. Oh, that's what you meant by kind. That's what you meant. And everything just became clear when I actually met her. And it's the same thing with Jesus. We can get really good ideas of things. We can have really good knowledge but there's just nothing better than the real thing. And I believe in a living God who's around us, who's here in this room, who's here in your bedroom, he's in your bathroom, he's in your office, he's at your gym, he's everywhere, and we can interact with him. Um, I, I would love to end this morning um, with just a quick little moment of silence and reflection. I would love, um, just like a minute or two, we're just gonna close our eyes, and I would love for you to think of a time, try and think back to your past, try and think of a time when you felt Jesus. Maybe you didn't have a direct one, whatever it is, but you felt the love of Jesus. And if you have never felt that in your life, I would ask you during this time to ask him for one. To ask him for one. So you please join me.
Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are living. We thank you that you died on the cross for our sins, but you conquered death and raised from the dead, and even when you raised from the dead, you didn't go away from us, you stayed close to us. Lord, I thank you for the experiences you've given the people in this room in the past. And to anyone who hasn't had an experience with you, God, I pray that you give them one. I pray that you interact with them because I am convinced that you are never trying to hide from us. You are never trying to run away from us, God, but you are trying to draw as near to us as you possibly can. So God, I pray for hearts in this room that we would look for you, seek you in everything. We would seek you in everything, God. We are so grateful and thankful for the opportunities you provide. God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for loving everyone here. Thank you for loving everyone on this planet, past, present, and future. God, I pray that if anyone has had a negative experience with you, I pray that you wash it away. Because human beings can easily provide negative experiences for people. I apologize if I've ever negatively given someone an experience about you, God. But I believe you, Lord, are only full of positive experiences. You are only full of love, joy, grace, and goodness. So God, we praise you in this place and we love you. Thank you for your unconditional love. In your perfect heavenly name, amen.